0: Feel free to be seated. Okay, well, that was awesome. I don't know, I'm, I'm all teary-eyed and I can't hardly see you now, so uh, there we go. Um, one of the things that you have to choose as a preacher and a teacher is um, the method by which you will communicate. I mean, it's been interesting for me just as a side note how many of you have said you know we really hope that the um the the progress on your leg you know means that you can walk again um which is kind um but um but the number of you who've said but we hope you don't stand up again when you preach (laughs) now i don't know whether it's this you know six foot four english person that looks a bit intimidating or whether you're actually saying, as many of you appear to be saying, that the relaxed nature of me being seated and sharing with you like this, uh, means that um, you're, you're able to maybe engage and receive in a better way. But, um, but certainly that's what a lot of you have said. And so, you know, I'm thinking about that. We've even talked about it at staff meeting. And uh, we're thinking about how best to respond to that because I think it's a really helpful and interesting insight. But then, in each message you have to decide what is the method of communication some preachers get stuck in one particular mode and plow one particular style of presentation over and over again and i understand that and that's fine for me personally one of the things that i'm always asking the lord is what what's the method that you want to use to convey the word this week and so this week I'm gonna use much more of a narrative style. I'm gonna use much more of a storytelling style because I want you to engage with what it is that the Lord wants to say this week from the point of view of people who enter into a story. The thing about stories, unlike the presentation of principles or facts, is that when you hear a story, you're given the option of identifying with the characters in the story or not. And as you choose to identify with the characters, so you're able to access places within your heart and mind that perhaps you wouldn't normally engage with when someone's presenting you a series of facts, a series of principles, information that may well be helpful for you to guide your life, but may not necessarily access the deepest places in your heart and mind. Stories have always been that thing for human beings throughout history. It helps us to engage with an emotional response, a deep-hearted, personal, intimate response to the characters that we hear about. So I'm gonna read to you the passage for this week, and then I'm going to try to tell you the story behind the passage passage this week is from Acts chapter 1 uh, forgive me Acts chapter 21 and verse 17 Luke writes when we arrived at Jerusalem the brothers received us warmly the next day Paul and the rest of us went to see James and all the elders were present Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry When they heard this, they praised God, then said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know that there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. The next day, Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the date when the days of purification would end, and the offering would be made for each of them. Now, on the surface of this, this is an amazing story of a spirit of congeniality, a a spirit of desiring to connect with one another, a spirit emanating from the heart of Paul and from James, the brother of Jesus and the elders of Jerusalem, a spirit of cooperation and collaboration. And of course, that's a beautiful thing in itself and wonderful for us to read and behold and to reflect upon and receive in our own lives, in our families, with our spouses, our children, our siblings. So often our families are riven, are they not, by division and hardship and heartache. And so often churches have known that kind of pain and certainly Apex would be one of those. And so all of us can find a place to reflect upon, this spirit of cooperation, this spirit of harmony that you see articulated here. But it's one thing to say that, it's another thing to consider the difficulties with which Paul had to struggle to get to that place. It's one thing to say that Paul and James and the others made these decisions. It's another thing to really think through What were the internal conflicts that made this step for Paul so enormously important and, frankly, so enormously difficult? So I'm going to give you the background to what it is that Paul is dealing with here, and we're going to reference various different parts of the New Testament. And sometimes I'll read them to you, and sometimes I'll just reference them. And when you're making notes, or if you're thinking this through as you are there online or perhaps seeing the recording of this later on in the week i'd encourage you to look at the places that i refer to to really get a hold of this we have to go back to the missionary journey before the one that paul is just completing in the new testament paul is recorded to have done three missionary journeys the first one with his friend barnabas to the area called Galatia to which he wrote a letter. The second missionary journey was with Silas and he picked up other people along the way including Timothy and Luke. And that missionary journey went through the place where he had planted churches with Barnabas and then into the west. And we get a sense that Paul on that occasion wanted to go to Ephesus, the great city of that region but was prevented by the Holy Spirit from doing that And found himself not in Ephesus, but in a city called Troas, which was a coastal city not far from the ancient city of Troy. And here the Lord sent him a vision of a man from Macedonia, saying, come over and help us. And Paul went to Macedonia by ship and saw a great work, first in the city of Philippi, and then in Thessalonica and Berea, even in Athens... And then as his team joined him in Corinth. And there in Corinth, the people that had pursued him throughout his missionary journeys began to threaten his life again. Paul had known great suffering before his first missionary journey recorded in the New Testament. He had been excommunicated from five synagogues, had received the... the The penalty of that excommunication, which was 39 lashes five times, which meant that his body was now just a pattern of scars. We know from external sources uh, outside of the New Testament that the church remembers Paul as a young man who has been unnaturally aged so that he looks like an old man, bent over by all of the scar tissue, bent over by all of the all of the beatings that he has received and all of the suffering that he's gone through. Paul has known great suffering up until this point, and there on the second missionary journey, he finds his life threatened again by the same people that have pursued him, his countrymen. People who completely misunderstand that his revelation of Jesus on the road to Damascus when he was going to execute the judgment of the high priests to gather up the followers of Jesus and imprison them, that confrontation with Jesus completely changed his life and helped him to understand the whole of the Old Testament from a new perspective, the perspective that Jesus was the fulfillment of all that he had believed up to that point. And his Jewish countrymen didn't understand that. They would never received that revelation and believed that he was simply trying to turn the tables on the Jewish faith and tradition. And so, empowered by their religious leaders, they pursued Paul, hoping perhaps maybe to prevent him or even kill him in what it was that he was trying to do. And there in Corinth, Paul was confronted by that that reality again and the feelings of fear emerged. Of course they would. He has post Traumatic distress of a very profound kind, I'm certain. Human beings have always been the same way. Paul has known deep and lasting, deep and lasting suffering. And Jesus appears to him in Corinth and says, Don't be afraid. Keep doing the work that I've given you to do because there are still people in this city who I'm calling to myself through you. And emboldened with that and settled with that, Paul continued the work and a great church was established in Corinth that exists to this day. But Paul, at the end of his time in Corinth and at the end of his second missionary journey, felt that he needed to really get settled in his heart this fear, this dread, this sense of being pursued by the people who hated him. And so he took a vow. And the vow that he took was the same vow that we hear him participating in there in Jerusalem. It was a vow of purification, often called a Nazarite vow. You would eat simple food, you would give up all alcohol, and you would shave all the hair from your body. Not only your head, that was kind of a euphemism. It was your head and the whole of your body. And if you were a hairy man then that would take a lot of work. A straight blade razor would not be necessarily a familiar friend to you when you shaved the entirety of your body. But of course, the point is, is that you gather up all of that hair, you put it in a bag, and you carry that bag to the temple. And when you make your arrangements with the priests, you give them that bag, and they throw it as a symbol of yourself onto the fires of the altar. And there you present yourself as a living sacrifice, as Paul would write in the years to come. Paul then got on a boat, and via different experiences and adventures, not least of which raising a young man from dead who had fallen from the window because he was preaching too long, Paul continues on his journey to Jerusalem. And on that journey to Jerusalem, interspersed with opportunities to speak, like gathering the Ephesian elders on the beach at Miletus, speaking to various different churches along the way, Paul hears in every place that suffering and imprisonment await him in Jerusalem. Paul is carrying a gift for the Christians in Jerusalem who are poor, who are suffering, who have often been excluded from their synagogues, which means that they find it very difficult to find work. And so these hungry, poor Christians are, being, are going to be supported by Paul and the gift that he's gathered in the Gentile churches. And I'm sure what Paul is trying to do is to try to connect the hearts of the Gentile believers with the Jewish believers, helping them to see that they're in the same thing together and that the benefits that are experienced by one group of believers can be shared with another. The Jewish believers can share the benefits of their knowledge of the Old Testament. The Gentile believers can share the benefits and the blessings of their financial prosperity. And so this great offering is going to be taken to James and the elders and the people who follow Jesus in Jerusalem and Judea. And he takes a great group of Gentile leaders with him from each of the churches that supply this gift. And eventually, in each of the places that he stops, he's hearing this prophetic word about suffering and difficulty. Eventually, Paul finds himself in Jerusalem. Now, when he sees James, there'll be a memory. Paul says in Galatians that when he was working with Barnabas in Antioch, seeing the first Gentile church planted, some men from James came and told the Jewish believers that they couldn't eat with the Gentile believers. And so the first teaching of division and separation appeared to emanate from James. James, who is the brother of Jesus, appears to have this kind of noble bearing and certainly doesn't hide the fact that he's an important person. James was part of the difficulty for Paul and no doubt Paul was part of the challenge to James but they greet each other and share the stories of faith stories of great harvests of people being brought to Jesus great numbers of Gentiles coming to know Jesus great numbers of Jews coming to know Jesus and a reminder That James holds nothing against the Gentile churches but wants them to be sensitive to the, the, the history and traditions of the Old Testament. And then asks Paul, Will you stand and take this ritual of purification with these four men, pay their expenses? They can't afford the cost of the dove and the lamb that they'll need to fulfill their duties. They can't even afford to pay for the barber shop that is going to shave their head and the rest of their body. And Paul agrees. But of course, Paul is remembering back to when he took the same purification rite at the end of the second missionary journey. And why did he do it? Because he wanted God to give him an answer. And at the end of the second missionary journey, as I can piece together the narrative, and I've told you this before, I'm fairly certain that what Paul did is to go to Jerusalem with that bag of hair to offer it to the priest to present himself as a living sacrifice, and to pray to the Lord three times, And what did he pray? He said, Lord, take this thorn from my flesh. And what's a thorn in the flesh? A thorn in the flesh are people that oppose the work of God. People who, like the Canaanites, oppose the work of Joshua in settling the land. People like the Jewish groups who would follow Paul around. Now, who were these Jewish groups? I think it's very likely that they were followers of Jesus, but they believed that Paul was a charlatan, that Paul was not being faithful to the Jewish rabbi Jesus. These were Christians that were ruining his work. And Paul said, Lord, I want you to remove these thorns in my flesh. Help me do your work without their interference and in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 the Lord says to Paul no three times he asks him and three times the Lord says no and he says this my grace is enough for you Paul for my power is is brought to completion in the weakness that you feel. My power is brought to completion in the weakness that you feel. Now Paul would leave Jerusalem, go back to Antioch, and then go on his third missionary journey, the end of which was The story that I just read to you. When Paul arrives in Jerusalem again after his third missionary journey. But the third missionary journey is an amazing missionary journey. His first two missionary journeys are incredible. But his third is the one to be remembered in the annals of history for all time. Because on this missionary journey, Paul would write the backbone of the New Testament. He would write... 1st and 2nd Corinthians he would write the letter to the Romans perhaps the most important human document ever produced at any point in history the book of Romans has influenced the rise and fall of cultures throughout the last 2,000 years no piece of literature has been more influential in the human story and it was on his third missionary journey That Paul would write these things. He knew that God's power was coursing through him as he wrote these words that would change the lives of millions, billions of people. He would go to Ephesus. He would plant a church that would be led by him and then overseen by his dear disciple Timothy and eventually would be led by the last living Apostle John, who would arrive in Ephesus with the ancient mother of Jesus, Mary. And there they would minister together and Mary in the last years of her life would be a great source of wisdom and comfort to so many. And there in Ephesus she would be buried. Her grave is still there to this day. This would become the most important epicenter of Christian life and mission for hundreds of years and Paul did that on his third missionary journey he spent a little time in the synagogue people became obstinate obstinate he left and carried on as a tent maker and and rented a, a, a hall a lecture hall in in Ephesus called the Hall of Tyrannus the the man was obviously a tyrant who owned that hall, who was obviously a professor of some, some subject that people were particularly interested in at the time. And, and during the siesta hours, Paul would rent that hall. And the disciples would gather there. And they would be trained by him and sent out. And people like Epaphras would go out and plant the church in Colossae. And others would go out and plant the church in Hierapolis and in, in places like Pergamon, Smyrna, Thyatira, All of the churches that we see and encounter in the last book of the Bible, Revelation, were planted during Paul's time in Ephesus. He was only there for two and a half or three years. There was a great riot that that was stirred up because of his presence there. And God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. He was unable because of his task as a tent maker to go and visit the sick. And so he would send tokens of his prayers for them his aprons and his handkerchiefs that would be around his head to catch his sweat and people would take these tokens and they would pray for the sick and they would be delivered of their demons and and completely healed it was an amazing time paul would continue and as he began to write the letters to the corinthians he made his journey towards that city again stopping at the churches along the way And then when he settled the divisions in the church in Corinth, he wrote a letter to Romans. And in in that book, having considered the words that he wrote in Corinthians, where he said, I've tried to become all things to all men that I might win just a few. He writes these words in Romans. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my countrymen, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption of sons. Theirs is the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. And from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Amen. And then he goes on in chapter 9 of Romans to reflect on the rejection of Jesus by his own countrymen. And what it is that God will do. And he says in chapter 11. He says. But the gifts and call of God. Are irrevocable. God will bring in the Jewish nation. In time. And so. He goes to Jerusalem. With these things in his heart. He hears the prophecies. That it's going to be difficult. He hears the messages that he's going to be imprisoned. Perhaps death is waiting for him. But he's prepared to give up his life. If in giving up his life, his countrymen would come to know Jesus. And so, I'm sure with trepidation and having realized all of his fears and deep insecurities as he meets James And the people who follow Jesus of his own race, he agrees and complies with their wishes, even though when his body is shaved, all of the scars of all of the beatings are revealed. And even though, as he considers the rite of purification, all of the scars and all of the pain, All of the sense of terror and fear and rejection and abandonment. He could feel all of them. Every lashing word, every judgment, every criticism. And the devil whispering in his ear, is saying, see, you're in the right. You can stay divided from these people because they're wrong. You're right. But in the midst of the pain, he hears another word. A word that he penned for us on his third missionary journey. A word that would resonate through history. A word that revealed what the true power of God really is. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong and a clanging single. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and have all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I'm nothing, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put these childish things behind me. Now we see, but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall fully know, even as I'm fully known. And now these three things remain. Faith, hope, love. And the greatest of these, is love. And so, yes, I'll go the extra mile. Yes, I'll pay for these young men to be purified. Yes. I'll embrace my Jewish heritage that has so wronged me, so brutalized me. Yes, I'll try to be like Jesus. I wonder where the divisions are in your life, where the struggles are. I wonder where the pain is I wonder where the suffering, all the memories of terror are found. I wonder where you need to hear this word. You see, you can read these stories and it's kind of, Interesting, but it's not particularly profound unless you know what's behind it. Your stories of sadness and suffering are held in the heart of Jesus. He has gathered up every tear in his bottle, remembered every one of them, And today, he says, will you love them? Will you love them? Let's pray.